We are live. Welcome to the Cover 2 Broncos. I guess I call it the Cover 1 Chronicles because it's just me today. Um, hopefully, you guys like this and kind of hop in with any of your questions. Um, this is kind of an attempt to do it kind of like a radio show where uh, I kind of want to talk about a couple topics. You guys think of any questions or think about something I missed or want to talk about, definitely just let me know uh, and we can discuss it. Uh, but for our first one, I thought it would make sense to do to kind of start doing the position breakdowns. We've kind of reached that point in the off season where it's time to start looking to really kind of chew on who who's on the Broncos roster right now and how the position groups shape up. So for our first episode, I really wanted to do the Broncos running back room just because, well, it's a group I'm really excited for, but also I know a lot of you play fantasy football. Um, and obviously this is going to be a group that really kind of influences your, what you're doing if you wanted to draft a Bronco for fantasy football this year. Um, so plan to get to that. But first thing I kind of think that we need to talk about, again, if you guys, and I doubt this is the case for most of you, but if you have been living under a rock um, and haven't really been paying attention to everything that's going on a lot season, the, the first thing that really catch your eye when you're looking at the Broncos running back room is how different it is from last year's. Um, most notably, the Colorado kid, Philip Lindsay, is no longer a member of the Broncos. And I don't want to really like get into too much of like playing the blame game because I think well, so, so it's kind of just I, – I just want to go over it. The, the big thing with Philip Lindsay, and this is a little bit of a speculation based on reports combined with just kind of what I've heard. Uh, the big thing that happened with Philip Lindsay is after the 2019 season, at the season-ending press conference, John Elway kind of alluded to giving him a kind of a new contract to make him more fairly paid. And at that time, it seemed like a goodwill gesture from the Broncos after Lindsey had made the Pro Bowl as a rookie, passed 1,000 yards rushing in the second season. And he was kind of a clear fan favorite, but also one of the, the only really purely positive things on the Broncos' offense um, at that, over those two seasons uh, didn't happen, obviously. A little bit later in that offseason, the Broncos went out and they gave a two-year – $16 million contract to Melvin Gordon. Uh, they did not give Philip Lindsay a new contract. Um, and I don't think that sat well with Lindsay. Um, just because, again, he's the one who would put in the time and the effort. And then they go out and they essentially they eat into his, his role with a, a clear RB1. And they didn't give him the contract that they had alluded to. So it just ended up kind of being a PR game that didn't really go anywhere. Um, now, from the Broncos' perspective, I totally understand why they didn't give Lindsey a new contract. Um, so I'm not I'm not trying to like play the blame game on them, but it is kind of I think that's where the beef kind of started. Um, but from the Broncos' perspective, they probably looked at Lindsey and they saw he was sensational as a rookie. Obviously, he uh, ran for 1,037 yards on just 192 attempts, so he averaged 5.4 5.4 yards per carry. And he scored nine touchdowns. 
He also added 35 catches on 47 targets, and his first NFL touchdown came on a wheel route. Um, I'm pretty sure if he hadn't gotten hurt in the second Raider game, he probably sets the rookie wrestling record for the Broncos. Now, 2019 didn't go as hoped. Uh, a big part of that was issues on the offensive line. The Broncos switched coaching staffs, and it was pretty obvious that Rich Cangarello and the Broncos coaching staff did not see Lindsay as a reliable third down player. Part of that may have been due to the wrist injury. I know Lindsay has said that. But also, I think the Broncos looked at him and looked at a smaller player and just kind of wondered if he'd be able to hold up in pass protection. So they preferred Royce Freeman for passing downs. And then, of course, if you look at last year in 2020, Lindsay suffered a foot injury in the Broncos' first game that kind of knocked him out of three games. And then he returned for the Broncos' win over the Patriots. And, he, I mean, he was a war horse. He was basically the one guy logging significant snaps. And then he ended up playing up until the Broncos ended up placing him on injured reserve right before week 16. So kind of fast forward into the into the offseason, and the Broncos have to make a contract decision with Bill Lindsay. They have three different choices. He is a restricted free agent, so they could place a first-round tender on him. They could place a second-round tender on him, or they could place what's called a right-of-first refusal. The, the pay that Lindsay would receive depends on what the tender is, and the Broncos end up going with the lowest one. Now, again, I'm not trying to hate on George Payton here because to his, to his credit, George Payton is not the person who alluded to giving Philip Lindsay a goodwill contract bump. Bill, George Payton is the guy who stepped into what John Elway left him. And I think George Payton is just trying to do what he thought was best for the Broncos roster and we can we can get into that at a different time, but I if you look at the way that George Payne has treated the Broncos financial situation, he has continuously tried to leave enough wiggle room under the Broncos cap to A make any re-signings that they want. So they can extend whoever they need to right now, Cortland Sutton, anybody else. But also it leaves them with the flexibility to go and pursue big contract quarterbacks if somebody is available. Neither here nor there, but I do think that's you know it's worth noting. What ended up happening because of it is George Payton placed the original round or right of first refusal on Phil Blinney. And clearly kind of a slap in the face if you're Lindsay after rushing for a thousand yards two seasons in a row and then getting hurt. Uh, and kind of, especially when you consider that the Broncos then went out and they signed Mike Boone, a former Viking, to a two-year contract worth a little bit under $4 million. Uh, so through that, it became pretty clear, if you're Philip Lindsay, it's pretty clear that the Broncos do not plan on giving you a significant increase in your role. And if you just had a baby, and Philip Lindsay had just had a baby, and you're looking ahead and knowing that you're going to end up in free agency the following year, getting an original round tender and then seeing your franchise go out and sign another running back to a contract, probably pretty upsetting. And based on what I've read, the Broncos and Philip Lindsay's agent, Mike McCartney talked it out and the Broncos ended up rescinding the offer. They, they pulled the offer. Um, and part of this was the idea that while the Broncos wanted to keep Philip Lindsay, the way the, the right of first refusal works is if any other team had wanted to sign Philip Lindsay, the Broncos could match it. 
Um, and he would have got a pay raise, and then whether whether he's on the Broncos or not, but because the Broncos could match that contract, most teams, my understanding is, were very reluctant to enter into negotiations because they knew the Broncos could just match it. So what ended up happening is the Broncos pulled Philip Lindsay's original round tender. He became a free agent, and he went on to sign with the Houston Texans. Uh through it all, which is interesting about this before we kind of move forward, the contract that the Broncos signed Mike Boone to, um, it's officially a two-year contract according to Over the Cap worth $3,850,000. For 2021, his cap hit will be $1.8 million or $333,000 less than Lindsay's initial original round tender. So through it all, the Broncos actually got a running back for cheaper than what they were going to pay Phil Lindsay. And then a little bit later in the offseason, with Melvin Gordon and Mike Boone and then the, the deeper depth chart for the Broncos running back, they went out and they traded up two drafts, North Carolina's Javante Williams, in the second round of the NFL draft. They gave up a fourth-round pick to do so. Um, and again, with the way rookie running backs work in today's NFL, you don't trade up to get a guy unless you think he's going to be ready very, very early. So... That brings us to kind of what the Broncos running back room looks like now. And I mean, again, you guys probably know some of the names, but I went, I went and I looked up the, I looked at the numbers. I went back and dug into the tape. I went and looked into the medical history. It's kind of just, I, I tried to do a deep dive into it all uh, just so we could talk about it. Because again, like I think this room is going to be an important one especially if the Broncos do not trade for Aaron Rodgers before the NFL season, because the Broncos offense is going to be very reliant on not only the running game, but the threat of the running game to set up play action. Uh, and a big part of that. And while, again, while the offensive line is a big part of their overall production, their effectiveness, the backs have to be threatening enough and be able to hold up their end, both in selling play fakes but also serving as pass protectors, especially in a pass trimmer offense, who routinely keeps his, uh, his running backs in two pass block on deeper vertical shots. Um, and again, this is kind of where Javante Williams fits into it. So as of right now, kind of like between OTAs and training camp, there is worthwhile speculation that Javante Williams is going to push Melvin Gordon for a starting job. And as I said, you don't trade up for a running back unless you think he's going to be able to contribute early. No other position enters the NFL and reliably contributes early like running backs do. Um, that said, and this is kind of where I'm at with it, and again, this could change through the preseason. If Melvin Gordon is healthy, I do expect him to serve as Pat Shermer's lead back. And then Javante Williams and maybe even Mike Boone will clean up with kind of the remaining carries. Uh, part of this goes back to I've back when the Broncos hired Pat Sherman last year, I went and looked at what the, what his backfield duties kind of look like over the course of his time as a play caller and the 2017 Vikings and obviously the 2020 Broncos kind of, uh, kind of jump out as outlier seasons in terms of like, they're a little bit different. Um, in 2017 with the Vikings, Delvin Cook got hurt, 
and Pat Sherman ended up splitting the backfield between Jarek McKinnon and Matt, Matt Asiata. But both seasons that Pat Sherman was the head coach in New York and obviously the play caller, Saquon Barkley was clearly the number one guy. Granted, you drafted him second overall, probably going to be the Warhorse. But Saquon Barkley had 187 more carries in his backup in, two, in 2019, two, uh, 211 more than his backup in 2018. And if you go back and look at Pat Shermer's offenses with the Eagles, and again, a lot of that was Chip Kelly, but if you look at that offense, you look at Shermer's time with the Rams, Shermer's time with the Browns, he tends to have a workhorse back. And when you look at what happened last year, Melvin Gordon missed one game due to precautions over a sore throat. But in the 15 games he played, he never played less than 45.9% of the snaps, and usually it was more than 50. Um, if he's healthy, I would be very surprised if Gordon is not the guy that plays the vast majority of passing downs. So most third downs, basically the Broncos are in a two-minute offense. Uh, if they're late in the game trying to come back, I expect Melvin Gordon to play most of the snaps, even if Javante Williams and Mike Boone end up getting carries. Just because Gordon has, again, he's a veteran. He's a solid blocker. He's a good, you know, he's better. He's better than I think his most ardent critics want to believe. Um, he has both the size, the play strength, and the form and technique to really do a decent job of it. And he has his, keeps his head on a swivel, so he's he's quick. And having that experience, he knows what's going to be coming. Like he he can recognize the different looks that defense are going to bring. He sees that. And for a play caller like Shermer, I expect him to kind of lean on that when the other options are a rookie who hasn't been in the NFL yet, obviously, or Mike Boone who, and again, I'll get to Mike Boone, but Mike Boone has played basically no, like no snaps on offense. He's played very, very little on offense. And even when he was on the field on offense in 2019, the Vikings took him off the field for our most obvious passing counts. And so from, so from there, you're kind of thinking maybe, well, what about running two running back sets, right? Um, and again, I expect the Broncos to come out and say that that's what they're going to do in training camp, especially if Javante Williams looks really good. They did that last year with Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. The Broncos were talking about trying to get him on the field together. Um, but here's the thing. I went and looked at warrensharp.com. He does a really good job of breaking down personnel usage and that, that kind of thing. And the Broncos used two back sets on 78 plays last year. Um, that's total. When you look at the total number of plays that the Broncos ran, that's actually 8% of all their offensive snaps. Um, and I took a look, and the vast majority of those are snaps with a fullback. And so that's usually Andrew Beck. Very, very, very seldomly did they use 20 personnel. And again, part of that is the fact that Phil Lindsay got hurt. And then he wasn't 100%. So they, they just kind of moved away from it. I know in week one, they did use a play with both Melvin Gordon and Phil Quincy together. But they, they basically stopped implementing it. Part of that might be due to the injury, like I said. It might also be due to the fact that they started to strip out parts of the offense because the quarterbacks were struggling with it. Um, and the other part of it is the Broncos are strongest with either two tight ends or with multiple receivers on the field. And, and, I've, and again, I've talked about this before but just kind of give you guys the clip most version of it. 20 personnel in the NFL is pretty rare in part because 
most ball hand uh, ball carriers, most like lead running backs, aren't very good blockers. Again, I do believe that Javante Williams could do this. But the other thing is most running backs in the NFL aren't good enough receivers to threaten a defense. So what ends up happening is having a second running back in the backfield creates situations where the defense knows that there's less receivers to worry about. So it's easier to defend. One of the things you can do to try and mitigate that is, A, you have a running back like Elvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey who can actually run routes like a receiver. Or you have to be able to run enough like misdirection with the running backs to create situations where they help people get open anyway. The Ravens do this a little bit, but the Ravens also have Lamar Jackson. The Broncos don't have Lamar Jackson. Um, and I don't expect them to, obviously. So and that's so I would say if the Broncos receiving core is healthy, we don't actually want them to run two back sets this year very much, just because it's kind of it's not optimal. There's there's better ways to create offense. So, but that's kind of, so again, I expect Melvin Gordon to be the starter. I expect Javante Williams to definitely start to see a lot of carries. Um, I'm very high on him. I'm going to get to him in a second. And it wouldn't surprise me if Mike Boone ends up being kind of like carving out a, a nominal, but also notable third role as like the, the kind of picking up the scraps. Just because he's a better running back than you would expect for a guy who basically got no snaps behind Delvin Cook and Alexander Madison. So, um, but one of the things I wanted to kind of touch on is the new faces. Because again, like, if you guys haven't been following the offseason with the Broncos really closely, some of this is kind of like, there's a, there's a lot of change coming to the Broncos backfield. Um, the first one, again, obviously, is Devontae Williams. Uh, nickname is Pookie. It's from high school. Um, Javante Williams grew up in a very small town. Um, I actually haven't had the chance to figure out how he earned the nickname Pookie. I hope to someday ask him, or I hope somebody asks him and we can find out. Um, but beyond that, I am very, very happy that the Broncos have him. Uh, he was the number one running back on my Broncos board leading up to the draft, and this is ahead of guys like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Um, and a big part of this is because I think he's a better fit for what the Broncos want to do on offense. I wrote about this in my breakdown. If you guys haven't already seen that, uh, I will share the link with you guys. Uh, it's a gift horse. If you, again, if you Google it, uh, Javante Pookie Williams will show up. It's at Mile Court. But uh, kind of the, the clip notes of that or the TLDR, um, Javante Williams, he's a very good athlete. Elite balance, very good agility, good explosiveness with elite play strength that routinely shows up. Um, he's good on carries. Um, he, guys will just kind of bounce off him. It also shows up when Javante Williams has been asked to block, whether it's pass pro or you'll see this in the Wake Forest game. Honestly, if you get a chance to see the Wake Forest game, that's probably one of his better games outside of Miami. Um when the Tar Heels kind of put the ball in his hands and stopped letting Sam Howell screw them over, that's when they won the game. So, again, I can't recommend that game enough. But near the end of that game, there's a couple plays where the Tar Heels are actually in 20 personnel, and Javante Williams is a lead blocker, and he just blows guys up. Um, it's actually it's really impressive because, again, most lead blocker or most, most ball carriers do not want to block. Um, it's just extra contact. 
Uh, but Javante Williams is a former linebacker. You can tell like he's, he's the kind of guy he thrives on contact. Um, but beyond his actual his contact balance, what stands out to me is the fact that he has a spin move. He has a stiff arm. He can jump high enough that he'll, he'll be able to hurdle defenders. Um, but beyond that, he actually he's able to string moves together. Um, this really shows up in the Miami game. He has a play where he runs away from a defender, uh, gets into the open field. He ends up doing a juke. Then he turns into a spin, a stiff arm, and then another juke. And then he's you know rumbling down the sideline. So it's he's going to be a highlight reel if he can stay healthy. Uh, and one of the other things I really, really liked about him, both coming out and especially now, now that he's on the Broncos, he's he wasn't always asked to do a lot as a route runner. Um, a lot of his route running was dump offs, as you would expect a running back to do. But he did show the the quickness and the route running savvy to create separation in limited in limited uh, sample. One of one of these plays came against Jeremiah Wusu Cormo of Notre Dame. And again, if you get a chance to go back and check out that play, he does it on. A, I want to say it's on a Texas route where he just he creates separation, gets the ball, plucks it out of the air, and off he goes. Um, beyond that, Devontae Williams, he's very good at protecting the football. He had one fumble in three seasons with UNC. So you hear all that, you're probably thinking, well, what is he bad at? The big the big knock on Williams coming out, and this is and this is gonna kind of need to be kind of plucked apart a little bit, is his vision. And this isn't to say he's blind. This isn't to say that he's he's not Royce Freeman. Uh Royce Freeman has some issues with his vision. Devontae Williams isn't that, like, isn't on that level. But one of the things that you'll notice if you watch a lot of his tape is he does become impatient. There are times where he will try and bounce too early when he should just kind of sit back, let his blockers develop for a tick. Um, There's times where he should be running up on the heels of his blockers a little bit closer to make the most of the leverage that he can create. And he doesn't do that. Um, And then again, like he'll get in the second and third level. And sometimes he has a tendency to bounce wide and try and outrun guys to the sideline when I mean, you're, you're, he's a power back. He needs to, in the NFL, with faster defenders, he's going to need to be able to go north-south more often. Um, I, I am optimistic a lot of this is coachable, uh, and it's one of those things that I, I expect to get better as he has more time in the NFL. Um, but the other area that I don't necessarily know if it's going to improve over time is how Williams makes decisions as a runner. Uh and, and it, I don't really have, like, it fits under vision just because I do think that it's tied to what you see. But it's kind of, like, more, there's more nuance to it than that. But a lot of times in, like, a crowded situation where he's, like, running through the line of scrimmage and he sees a defender, he's trying to make a move to beat the guy that he sees. Like, the guy right in front of him, the most immediate threat. And what ends up happening, or what can happen in these situations, is he, he it looks like he has what looks like tunnel vision. He won't see somebody coming out from pursuit and they'll end up being the one to make the play. Uh, this, this issue would show up most or would be a problem most often probably on outside, outside zone concepts. Um, it might also show up on dual or inside zone. Um, and again, the Broncos run all that stuff. So again, it is notable. But the good news is the Broncos run so much gap concept, so many gap concepts that it should mitigate the issue quite a bit. Um, down the stretch last year, the Broncos' best concepts were definitely power, pin and pull, counter. Um, like, 
And those are all plays that Javante Williams is going to be very good on. And he's not going to have to have that, that level of vision that Mike Boone shows, honestly. Um, so that's, that's one of those things like I loved his fit. And I think the fact that he landed with the Broncos will help him hide his weaknesses as far as vision goes. Now that kind of brings us to Mike Boone. Who's the other, like the big name, new guy. Uh, and again, you can be forgiven if you don't know who Mike Boone is because Mike Boone is, he's kind of an unsung guy at this point in his career, other than the fact that obviously now he's a Bronco. Um, and the big question with him is really like, is he even going to be a contributor to the offense or is he just a core special teamer? Uh, before the Broncos drafted Javante Williams, I was very sure that he was going to end up playing on offense. Now that the Broncos had Javante Williams, I am less certain just because Again, as I said, Pat Shermer wants a lead back. And now that he has Javante Williams, Williams will probably eat up most of the second, like the snaps that Elvin Gordon doesn't. But I could see Mike Boone carving out a small role for himself. Just And again, if there's an injury, he'll, he'll do a lot more. But I could see him carving out a role for himself because, again, if Javante Williams isn't very good at outside zone, Mike Boone is. Um, and he's very good at split zone. And one of these, uh, one of these things is the fact that Mike Boone has much better vision than he's given credit for when he left uh, Cincinnati. And, or at least in the limited sample that I've seen of him, that's what I saw. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This is what George Payton said about Mike Boone at the press conference in March. And it sure sounded like George Payton thought that he was going to play for off, play on the offense. And he said, Mike Boone is a self-made man. He was a free agent out of Cincinnati. We signed him as a running back. He turned he earned making the teams playing special teams, all four phases. He played four phases, and he's one of the top special teams players for the Vikings. He was playing behind Dalvin Cook, so he didn't have a lot of opportunities. But when he did have an opportunity, he really produced, and I think he's going to help our room. He's going to add special teams to the offensive side of the ball, which we lack, and I'm really excited to have Mike here. And, again, I'm pretty skeptical usually of like GM or coach speak of this kind of stuff. Uh, but that said, I, I do think Peyton made a good point about the fact that he plays all four spe- uh, phases on special teams, which again, that means basically uh, the last two seasons, Mike Boone has played more than 50% of the Viking special team snaps. He's logged 523 special team snaps altogether. Um, and he actually forced a fumble against the Texans last year, which is cool. Uh, most of his offensive work came in 2019 when Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison were hurt uh, for his career. He's actually only touched the ball 78 times. Um, with those carries, he's totaled uh, 407 yards and four touchdowns. Officially, he has yet to fumble. I'm going to get to that. Um, Boone considers himself a one-cut back. Uh, and again, if you've watched the Broncos dating back to like the Mike Shanahan era, or like kind of like mostly that era, like the Alex Gibbs, Mike Shanahan era, a one cut back is going to be very familiar to you. Um, and Boone does play like this where he'll plant his foot, make a cut. And he's going um, once he gets into the third level, there are times where he'll try and make something happen beyond that. But around the line of scrimmage, he's not a guy that's going to be dancing around a ton. He's going to try and get downhill and get what he can out of the play. And that's an effective running style. It's it's a way that you're not going to end up getting a lot of losses. So one of the big things with Boone, because he's played so little, I 
we're getting we're getting a very a very limited sample size from his tape, and so I want you to be aware of that because you watch three games of a guy, you get an idea of what he can do. But at the same time, of three games, you didn't do it over a whole season, stuff like that. And so it's kind of like I'm trying to take out the traits and what we saw from that tape and kind of projecting it into what he's going to be able to do now. But so I went back and I looked at his 2019 tape. This is week 15 through 17. Uh, and again, I tried to kind of get an idea of what he's going to give the Broncos. And I was really surprised and I was really happy actually. Uh, because again, a guy who's third on the depth chart basically for his career, you kind of wonder if he can actually play. But even though 66% of his touches came in those three weeks, he shows a lot of promise. Uh, he's a good athlete. He has good bursts, good agility, good quickness, good balance. He's also, again, and I mentioned this with the plant and go. His lateral mobility is much, much better than I expected it to be based on, like, the 2018 testing numbers. Uh, that was, like, his biggest issue as far as, like, workout numbers coming out before the NFL draft. Um, but he has good footwork. He has really good core balance uh, or core strength. And his his short area mobility really shows in the way he can handle himself along, around the line of scrimmage. He's very controlled. Um, so... And that kind of shows through the rest of his running as well. Like he's he's five foot nine and he's just a little bit under two hundred and ten pounds, but he has solid play strength and he does a really good job of finishing runs. Um, one of the things you'll notice when you watch Mike Boone play is he runs behind his pads once he knows he's going to hit contact, and what he'll do is he'll duck his head into it and he'll create additional push at the point of attack, and that's again that's really useful because that means he's probably going to fall forward. Um, and even though he hasn't carried the ball very often, I did think, again, both his patience and the vision he has, it's promising. One of the things that I really, really liked about his tape is on zone concepts, when the defense will over-pursue, Mike Boone shows a knack for knowing when to cut back against the grain to create. And that's something that'll be very useful for the Broncos because, again, you run motion with like KJ Hamler going one direction with a tight end on the strong side and you start with Boone going that way, the defense is going to react to it. And Boone's the kind of guy he'll end up being able to find the bubble and then press the space on the back end to create yards. Um, it's all over those three games of the tape. So I'm really, I'm really optimistic about the Broncos big three. I do think all three of them are what I would consider soft locks for the roster. It'd be surprising if, Boone or Javante Williams are cut, especially Javante Williams. Um, the big question with Melvin Gordon, um, I don't think Melvin Gordon is going to get cut unless something crops up as far as a suspension from the NFL. Uh, and that's kind of been hanging over Melvin Gordon since, I mean, since his October arrest last year. Uh, and again, if you guys haven't been keeping up with this, I'm going to kind of catch you up. Uh, I'm not trying to necessarily play the blame game. I'm not, you know, I'm just, if you don't know this, I think this is something that's worth knowing. Uh, so Melvin Gordon was arrested for driving under the influence four days before the Broncos game against the Patriots. He was caught on video, my understanding, he was caught on video telling the police he'd been drinking. He did not take a breathalyzer test. Um, Mike Kliss from Nine News covered this. There's actually some tweets back around the time that 
again, if you if you're interested in this, it's worth checking out. But uh, Melvin Gordon pleaded not guilty to the DUI in January. The case ended up being dismissed in March. Um, as part of this, Gordon did plead to a lesser charge of excessive speeding and reckless driving. And Denver's district attorney's office dismissed the DUI in part because Gordon's lawyer and legal team ended up raising concerns about the evidence. Um, as part of his plea deal, Gordon did have to conduct 12 hours of community service and pay $478.50 in fines. Uh, so as it stands today, and again, I could be wrong. We could find out about this, you know, tomorrow for all I know. Uh, it doesn't look like Gordon's going to receive discipline from the NFL. Um, while the NFL has previously suspended players for charges with reckless driving, it, it, it doesn't often happen. The one most glaring example is Aldrich Roses, who was a kicker for the Giants. Um, but Rojas, Rojas or Roses, or I, I might be mispronouncing his name, but he, he left the scene and he was driving without a valid license. That's not the case with Gordon. And again, there is some tie to the fact that Gordon did originally admit that he'd been drinking. So like that, this could be kind of the wiggle room of where Gordon still does receive discipline. But I would expect, like, if that was the case, I think we would have heard about it by now. Um, basically, most of the other cases that I looked at where a player did end up uh, pleading to reckless driving, they didn't receive discipline from the NFL. And if Gordon doesn't receive discipline from the NFL, uh the Broncos would be on the hook for a bunch of dead money if they cut him. If he does receive discipline from the NFL, and this is suspension, this is a fine, this is basically anything is my understanding. Uh, Nine News Mike Cliss has made it clear the Broncos will go after the guarantees in his contract. If they do that, they will probably either cut him or try to renegotiate the contract to more favorable terms, in which case Gordon may just say, cut me. Uh, so, Again, I don't expect this to happen. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but it is a possibility. Um, that could be, you know, one of those bad news type things that show up in July that we weren't really thinking about. So um, hopefully it doesn't happen just because I do think, well, again, I've been very critical of Melvin Gordon's contract. Uh, I thought the Broncos paid way too much to sign him last year. That said, he is a good player. Um He's a proven pass catcher. He's a proven pass protector. He's a solid athlete, uh, good quickness, agility, balance, very good play strength, very good contact balance, good vision. So it, it makes sense to have him on the roster when it would cost you $6.5 million to cut him and $2 million to trade him because I don't think anyone's going to trade anything meaningful for him. So odds are you would have to cut him, and the Broncos would just be – blowing a $6.5 million hole in the roster to do that. It doesn't make sense. Um, it is worth noting, again, this is why the depth with Boone and Javante Williams is so important. Gordon has only played one full 16-plus game season in his career. Now, last year's strep throat was more uh, precautionary than anything, and he did miss time in 2019 to a contract dispute, so it wasn't an injury. But he has had a number of lower body ailments, so it's – it's no guarantee with a 17-game schedule that he's not going to get hurt. And running back is one of those positions where it always pays that debt because guys get hurt every year. There's just the nature of the position means that guys are taking abuse. Um, beyond that, though, the big concerns I have about Logan Gordon, and these are kind of like not huge concerns. Logan Gordon's not a true home run threat. 
Um, he'll he'll break a couple decent runs, but he's not a guy. He's not like Philip Lindsay was, where if you leave him on, you know, leave him space, he's just gonna run down the sideline and score a touchdown. The other thing is, and this is a bigger concern for me, just because I kind of the numbers bared out. So in 2018, Melvin Gordon finished fifth in yards after contact, which means he was breaking a lot of tackles. Uh, in 2019, he was 14. And then last year with the Broncos, he was 24th. Uh, his replacement, Austin Eckler, was better. Wayne Gallman, who is the backup running back who filled in for Saquon Barkley with the Giants. And then Brian Hill. All of them were better than Melvin Gordon was last year at creating yards after contact. So that is a concern. And again, he is getting a little bit older. But this is a contract year for him. I expect him to be in basically like the best shape of his life. Um, because he's playing for his next payday, because I, I don't think it's going to be with the Broncos. I don't think he thinks it's going to be with the Broncos. They just drafted Javante Williams. 